Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Lorraine Schlappbach, MD, FCICM, on the paper, Infections on Extracorporeal Life Support in Adults and Children, a Survey of International Practice on Prevention, Diagnosis, and Treatment, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in July 2019. Dr. Schlappbach is a pediatric intensivist at Queensland Children's Hospital in South Brisbane, Australia. His research is in infections in critically ill children. Welcome, Lorraine. Good morning, and thank you, Margaret, for the invitation for this podcast. Before we start, do you have any disclosures to report? I have no disclosures to make. Okay, good. Um, Would you start by giving us some background to your study, what the problem is, and why you did the study? Extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, or so-called ECMO, has been increasingly used in the past two decades, starting initially with with neonatal pediatric and adult patients of certain diseases like ARDS, meconium aspiration, or other causes of cardiac shock post-bypass. But ECMO has been increasingly used for much more complex patients, such as oncology patients. ECPR has become a standard in in many services. And hence, some of the challenges we face when uh, treating these patients with ECMO as well have changed. Infections acquired on ECMO remain one of the most common complications. And these infections are acquired during care in hospitals, so they they fit within what we usually would call nosocomial or hospital-acquired infections. In domains of patients outside ECMO, such as central line infections in neonatal, pediatric and adult ICU patients, for example, strategies to reduce hospital-acquired infections have shown to be very, very effective. And some centers as, as well report rates that are close to zero. So the question on how can we prevent, but as well improve the management of infections on ECMO is an important one. At present, there are a number of papers, both in neonatal, adult, but as well uh, pediatric cohorts, that describe that there's a substantial proportion of patients on ECMO that are at risk to acquire hospital-acquired infections. That risk increases the longer patient has been managed on ECMO because of the increased exposure due to breakdown of skin, indwelling devices such as endotracheal tubes, um, urinary catheters, and obviously as well the ECMO cannula themselves. It is not well understood to what degree as well the altered host immune system in, exposes patients to a higher risk of infection the longer they stay on ECMO. But what epidemiological studies suggest, and it depends very much on the cohort use, the type of patients, and how long the runs were, that between 1 out of 10 up to 2 out of 3 patients that are treated with ECMO suffer from a substantial hospital-acquired infection while being managed on ECMO. Now the question is, how big is the impact of these infections? It is known from general ICU patients that, for example, the, the, a patient acquiring a central line-associated infection is exposed to a risk for a longer length of stay, to a trends towards a higher mortality, and as well, this is associated with very substantial costs for the healthcare systems in the hospitals. However, on ECMO, we only have observational data to assess such, and they suggest that there is a strong association between 
infections on ECMO and longer ECMO duration and as well higher mortality, in particular as well for fungal infection. However, these studies have some limitations because they don't often control for the risk of exposure, for the severity of the patient, or but they, they flag that infections on ECMO are a risk and potentially infections on ECMO could be a modifiable risk factor. But there are a few key challenges that we need to consider because first of all, what are strategies to prevent infections on ECMO? What does the literature tell us and what, what evidence is there? Second as well, what's the best way to diagnose an infection on ECMO? And this is a very tricky field because a lot of criteria that we commonly use to say a patient has got an infection actually do not work that well um, if a patient is on ECMO. Usually as clinicians, when we assess patients, we see do they have a fever, are they tachycardic, maybe are they hypotensive um, to, to recognize infections. Most of these criteria are severely altered or even completely masked if they're on ECMO. For example, temperature is artificially controlled while a patient is on ECMO. Heart rate may be severely affected by sedation or, or other drugs. And hypotension may not be seen for a very long time because a patient is, is managed on full flows, um, on VA ECMO, for example. And so the recognition is difficult as well. We have patients that are kept sedated, um, often paralyzed, that can't communicate with us. We have very little avenues to, to investigate the, um, the central nervous system. And there is even difficulties to assess whether a patient could have respiratory infection. As we all know, in our patients on ECMO very often, the um, chest X-ray show areas of fluid overload or consolidation. Sometimes we even have a full whiteout in the early days of ECMO, depending on, on the patient, which makes it very, very hard to detect any challenge. And because of these difficulties in recognizing infection, many centers actually use what is called surveillance, so that on a daily basis they collect either blood cultures or certain lab tests, such as infection markers, to see if an infection can be diagnosed. And the hope is that by doing so, that a inf uh, developing infection on ECMO can be picked up earlier. We know from patients in ICU with sepsis that the time from the onset of hypertension to the initiation of antibiotic therapy is directly related to, to mortality. Now, the problem is on patients on ECMO, sometimes hypertension is the only sign that actually makes us recognize that something is wrong. And so there is a risk that we could be actually very late diagnosing infections in patients on ECMO. And maybe as a result of this, 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 this risk assessment, and as well obviously having very, very sick patients, many ECMO centers have a very low threshold to treat patients on ECMO with antibiotics. But that's not an untricky business, because this is a very special patient cohort that very often has already been exposed to broad-spectrum antibiotics before ECMO. So antibiotic choices for these patients may have to include very broad spectrum antibiotics that may affect as well the selection of further resistant pathogens. And it may be very hard actually to make an accurate diagnosis because many of the cultures that we take in these patients either are negative, such as blood cultures, or when it comes to cultures such as endotracheal tube aspirates, they, uh, it may be hard to make a decision whether the culture's results truly represent an infection or if they could represent a colonization. Endotracheal tube aspirate cultures uh, showing, for example, growth of candida species are a good example of this. And it can sometimes be very tricky in these patients 
to decide if this is a true um, ventilator-associated infection. So these are the challenges that we face. And at the same time, the guides that we have to inform us on best care are fairly limited. The Extracorporal Life Support Organization over 10 years ago um, set up a task force to define best practice for, to, for the management and detection of infections in patients on ECMO. And while these guidelines are very useful as well, they point out the lacks of, of knowledge and evidence to guide some of these areas. For example, the guidelines recommend against the regular use of surveillance cultures because of the lack of evidence. And at the same time, they say that there is a lack of data to inform whether infection markers can accurately be used to diagnose infection. So our question was, we have a situation that is very common, that many patients on ECMO are at risk to develop infections, and there is a lack of evidence to guide best practice. So we're wondering what is actually internationally the practice in centers that manage patients on ECMO. And so we did a survey that was distributed through several of the institutions, nationally and internationally, seeking to have respondents that regularly treat neonates, children, and adults on ECMO. And the survey has had 23 questions that ask specifically aspects such as what are your practices around prevention of infection, what are your practices around surveillance, how do you diagnose infection, and if you diagnose an infection, how do you manage infection? So how did you decide uh, who the survey went to? How did you, you, you distributed it electronically, I assume? Yeah, so it was an electronic survey set up through SurveyMonkey, which then went through different networks in Europe, North America, Asia, and Australia. And it was distributed as well by the ELSO network. We had 147 responses from 25 countries with a predominance of pediatric clinicians responding. The responses were collected as responses by clinician and not by center. The findings showed us that there was a really broad variability of care. Probably the least variability was found in practices around prevention of infection. So most centers have care bundles in place to prevent from ventilator-associated infection, pneumonia, and from central line-associated bloodstream infections. So these are applied in ECMO patients as part of the standards of care that, that are used in the IC overall. However, when we were actually assessing other preventive measures such as prophylactic antibiotics, which the ELSO guidelines clearly recommend against, it turned out that almost two-thirds of respondents actually regularly use prophylactic antibiotics. Many of those do so solely around the time of annulation, but up to 20% do so as well um, uh, ongoingly. And there was as well up to 40% of respondents that said that they regularly use prophylactic antifungal agents, again, which is something that is not routinely recommended based on the, the stents. I guess it's not surprising that there's a great deal of variability, but it is a little bit surprising that so many people use more antibiotics than are currently recommended in the granted limited guidelines. I do agree. It probably reflects something that happens a lot in, in care as well, in, in intensive care, is that the sicker a patient is, the more likely a patient is to get treatment where a clinician thinks it may not harm, it could do some good. And 
the concerns that unrecognized infections can prolong the ECMO run and that you know even the prolongation of an ECMO run sometimes can make the difference between being able to come off and survive and and not being able to come off and leading to mortality is a major concern for clinicians and i think that concern will be even enhanced by recognizing our our poor ability to accurately diagnose infection on ECMO another concern that clinicians have as well often is whether the, the presence of very large cannulas actually put patients at much higher risk of, of ongoing um, seeding and high risk of infection. But it is fair to say that similar arguments have been brought up in the past around generalized U patients. And most studies that then looked at uh, the implementation of antimicrobial stewardship measures, such as a reduction in duration of antibiotics, stopping if cultures were negative, most of these studies have actually shown that implementing antimicrobial stewardship measures in generalized ill patients is not only safe, but it may actually be beneficial for patients. In the field of ECMO, despite being one of the cohorts where we probably have maybe one of the most unrestricted usage of antibiotics in critical care nowadays, there is a lack of data on antimicrobial stewardship. And our findings indicate that there is a huge variability across centers for example, the use of infection markers. Some centers use C-reactive proteins, some centers use procalcitonin, many use white cell counts. White cell count in many settings has been shown to be very inaccurate to diagnose infection, but still it seems to be one of the main factors that guides management in patients on ECMO. PCT has emerged as a very promising marker to diagnose infection in many settings, including critical care. However, there are a number of papers that have shown that PCT can be strongly elevated in patients with multi-organ dysfunction and that the level of PCT as well is associated with outcome of ECMO. So there may be a confounding factor in PCT levels that is due to the severity such as in reperfusion in injury multi-organ dysfunction, which are very common on ECMO. And CRP as well, another commonly used infection marker, has many limitations and is often elevated due to non-specific acute phase reactions independent of infection. And finally as well, you know, blood cultures or other cultures taken have major limitations because in particular if patients have been exposed to antibiotics, or they may be falsely negative and the inoculum may, may be slow. So there is an urgent need for better markers, be it um, molecular markers that help us to better and earlier diagnose infection on ECMO. Can you talk a little bit about the limitations of your study? So the study was a survey, and as, as all surveys, the first limitation is that it tells you what people think they do, not necessarily what people do. But the second limitation is as well that because it was a, a survey sent around many centers in the world, the, the capture of services is, is not very high, which means what we have here is a sample and it is very hard to say how representative this sample is of what happens in many settings around the world. Um, we had a decent number of responses with, with over 140, but if you consider the amount of centers that treat patients on, on ECMO, the number is not huge. So I think these are some of the main limitations. But I think the survey is a useful tool to inform us around where some of the variability of care is that can help to design future studies. 
Our impression is that the knowledge we have on the burden of infections in patients on ECMO on one side and on the other side on the lack of evidence coupled with this survey showing a large variability of care, that makes a, a good reason to design proper prospective observational studies that characterize how infections are being diagnosed and managed on ECMO. And subsequently as well, um, we, we will need interventional trials in order to improve our management of these patients. Many areas of ECMO have become more safe in the past 10 years. Leading issues, anticoagulation management, there's been substantial progress in these areas. You know, even the ECMO devices themselves, you know, they, they have become a lot safer and, and more compatible as well with, 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 with our biological systems. However, infections remain one of the big challenges patients treated with ECMO remain exposed to and they come with a substantial burden both in terms of morbidity and in terms of mortality. So this is a great opportunity for quality improvement in this field. Clearly, there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, as the, a lot of the work in antimicrobial stewardship has shown, this is not an easy area to address. The fact is, before you start antimicrobial stewardship, very often local practices may suggest that antibiotics are often used and there is resistance in changing these habits. But most antimicrobial stewardship programs have, have shown that a simple set of, of interventions fairly quickly can actually change this practice safely and lead to reduced use of broad-spectrum antibiotics and unchanged patient outcomes. But I do think that the cohort of ECMO patients um, faces some very specific challenges in this regard. First of all, all the severity is much, much higher and the rate of uh, pre-ECMO treatment is very high. But secondly as well, diagnosing infection and actually saying what is the gold standard of an infection in a patient on ECMO is, is very difficult. In an ideal world, you know, the gold standard of infection would be a positive blood culture in someone treating on ECMO. However, bloodstream infections are actually fairly uncommon. You know, they're, they represent only about one out of 10 episodes of infection that patients on ECMO have. And so infections such as respiratory infections, skin infections, lung infections are way more common. And as I mentioned, there are challenges in making these diagnoses. And so we probably need some work around making clear case definitions for different types of infection on ECMO that can then be used for future studies. Because the current CDC criteria for hospital-acquired infections can be applied for ECMO, but they need some additional information to make sure we have robust criteria to measure these infections. I, I think you've done a great job of outlining what the challenges and issues are um, regarding infections and ECMO patients. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? I would just like to thank my colleagues, Graham McLaren and Steph Farrell, um, who helped with this survey. And I would like to thank all the societies, including ELSO, that helped uh, dis disseminate the survey and obviously everyone that has responded to the survey. We will now, in the next step, actually plan observational studies to address this issue more specifically, hoping that we can gain evidence that will inform better care, leading to better outcomes for our patients. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Lorraine. Thank you so much, Margaret, and have a good day. You too. 
We have been talking today with Dr. Lorraine Schlappbach about the article, Infections on Extracorporeal Life Support in Adults and Children, a survey of international practice on prevention, diagnosis, and treatment published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in July 2019. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care Podcast. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York. She is a former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She is currently serving as Associate Editor of Critical Care Medicine and Senior Associate Editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Join or renew your membership with SCCM the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847-827-6888 or visit sccm.org membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members.